You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Morning. Can I have you please stand? Uh, we do this to honor God's word because we believe it to be authoritative. So today we'll be reading through Jude, verse 14 through 16. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord comes from ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumbles, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. You may be seated. Well, good morning. We are in Jude. If you don't know who I am, I'm Keith. I'm a lead pastor at Meadowbrook Church. Glad that you're here if you're visiting. Uh, we're in Jude. We're coming uh, close to the end of, of the sermon series in Jude. I've really enjoyed it. We're in this uh, interesting section or, or paragraph where Jude quotes Enoch. And um, my goal, as is every Sunday, is that your hearts were sore at the, by the end of our time together, and um, that, that's certainly my goal today. There is a word that I came across I didn't even know existed, but I knew the, I, I knew the, the thing that the word describes or, or what the word is, uh, I knew that concept existed. It's a new word that dictionary.com put into the dictionary, it is one of the fruits from the, the pandemic and COVID. <laughs> it's new words have uh, come as a result. And before I share with you the word, I'll share with you the definition. And the definition is this. It's the practice of obsessively checking online news for updates, especially on social media feeds, with the expectation that the news will be bad, <laughs> such that feeling of, of dread from this negative expectation fuels a compulsion to continue looking for updates in a self-perpetuating uh, cycle. And of you, is that surprising to you? Uh, some of you are like, I do that, like before I go to bed. Uh, the news is not going to get better. The, the, the word that was created as a result of that is doom scrolling. So doom scrolling, that's a thing now. That's actually in the dictionary. Doom scrolling. Uh, and think about the word doom scrolling. Doom scrolling. <laughs> uh, the, the, I, I read um, on one site, is the act of doom scrolling then is to roll towards annihilation. <laughs> like, think about it, doom scrolling. The news is not going to get better. It's just going to get worse. It's just going to get worse. And I just want to see it. Um, so that's, I, like, I stopped watching the news as a result. And, and uh, I've backed off of social media as a result. And so actually there's studies that have come out that show that actually that can cause harm. I, I saw a commercial this week. I don't know if you've seen commercials like this. There was an actual commercial, and I thought maybe it was, maybe it was like, not serious, but it, but it was actually a serious commercial, and it started off with some kid just looking at his, his cell phone, and the light was illuminating his face, and um, as they went on into uh, to the, the commercial, it was basically, it was, it, it was a commercial on getting help 
for social media addiction. So that's a thing now on your phone. Uh, so there's places that will help you uh, break the addiction of looking at your phone. All that to say, I was thinking about doom scrolling. I was thinking about just, just the, the influx of, of news and just, just uh, all that surrounding us. I just wondered my, to myself as I was thinking, what, what is, what, why is that a thing? Why is doom scrolling a thing? I, I came across another quote. How many of you have seen The, uh, the Lion King? Yeah, you can raise your hand. Some of you haven't seen The Lion King. Wow. All right. Um, Mufasa said, when we die, so in The Lion King, when we die, our bodies become the grass, and the antelope eat the grass, and so we are all connected to the great cycle of, cycle of life. And I, like, even when I was a kid and I, I, I heard Mufasa say that, I thought, man, that's kind of depressing. And I thought, maybe what Mufasa said and the whole doom-scrolling thing is connected. And, and here's where I see it being connected. There is something in us that wants to live. We want to last. And the idea that we become fertilizer for daffodils or, or that things are not going to get better, they're only going to get worse, is, is not good news. And there's something in us that, that just tells us, like, man, this is not, there's, there's something beyond this. this. This can't be true. We watched a movie last night. I'll leave the movie on the, I'll, I'll leave the movie unnamed. I'm, I'm learning, I'm, I'm in the process of learning that uh, Far East Asian films tend to have no heroes at the end. Like everybody, all the good people die, the bad people live. I'm like, well, that's depressing. Like, where did all the good reviews, I had like hundreds of great reviews. Like, it was like I think it was like 90-some percent positive reviews. And I'm like, okay, so we'll have to read subtitles. If you ever see a, a Korean movie, the subtitles move really fast, so that's annoying. But we're like, okay, we can, we can deal with this. And, and then, like, it, everybody was like, it was, a, it was kind of like a thriller kind of a movie. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to a thriller. And at the end, like, all the good people, like, good, good was triumphed by evil, and nobody won. Evil won. I'm like, that's, now I got to go to bed. Like, I, I need to, like, listen to Mr. Rogers or something. Or, I, like, there's something in us that knows that the protagonist wins, right? That's, that's in our DNA. That's why we go and see movies or listen to stories. And this idea that we just become fertilizer for daffodils or that things are not going to get better, they're just only going to get worse and worse and worse until we're all annihilated, just doesn't sit well with us for a reason. Tim Keller, who I, I really, I love, I love his teaching, he said this, he said, and the words will be on the screen, when you say, oh, death is just, oh, death is just natural, you are actually killing a part of your heart, something quintessentially human, because you know deep in your heart that you're not like a tree, you're not like grass, you want to last. The deepest desires of your heart are for love that lasts. You don't want to be, uh, I don't even know the name of that, that word. If if, if, somebody help me. Thank you very much. I'll just leave it there. Uh, you, you don't want to be inconsequential. You don't want to just be a wave upon the sand. To say that, you're a, that you are means, you're demoting uh, the human race, and you're killing hope. You're killing something within you. And I think maybe that's why people 
Maybe they do the whole doom scrolling thing. Maybe, maybe they hope that things will get better, expecting things won't. So I believe Enoch addresses this. I think the whole, the whole, the, all 25 verses addresses this, that there is hope, that there's a hero. There is one who's going to make all that's wrong with this world right. There are enemies. There, are, there is an antagonist. He's the devil. There are people that have crept into the church, Jude says. They've snuck in. And, and this antagonist is using them to take your eyes off of the protagonist who is Jesus Christ. And you know, just to remind you, like at the very beginning of Jude, we're reminded that Jude's writing to these Christians, and he said, you are, who are called are also beloved in God the Father. That word beloved is agape. It's an it's a unconditional love. You are, you are unconditionally loved by the God of all creation, by God the Father, and, and you're kept for Jesus Christ. You're kept for him. And then he, just, he goes through his, his letter, and he says, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to just celebrate the things that we have in common related to the gospel and, and all those things. I, I wanted to celebrate that, but, but I feel compelled that I have to warn you about certain people who have snuck into the church, and, and I, I feel like I have the need to just in, encourage you to hold on to that faith that was once and for all passed down to you from the saints and, 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 and from the prophets and, you know, all that was, that's, that's in the scriptures. But I, I need to just point out these people, and that's what he does. Then we get to verse 14, and he, he says, he, he quotes Enoch. And I'm going to explain in a moment why I think he does that. But here's what I want to say. This is kind of the elephant in the room, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. I have a whole page in my manuscript that talks about the book of Enoch. I'm not going to go into it this, during the sermon, so... When it's available online, you can check it out. Here's, here's what I'll say. Um, actually, I have like footnotes on the book of Enoch in the, the reference chart thing that I just pointed out earlier. Here's what I'll say. Jude quotes a prophecy that he attributes to Enoch. Enoch was, um, is somebody we read about in Genesis chapter 5. And there's really like only a few sentences about Enoch. That's it. That's all we have. Now, the problem with the book Enoch, there's first Enoch is, is the one that um, people most reference. The problem with it is uh, it was written somewhere between 300 and 100 B.C. Whoever wrote it said that they were, that they were Enoch, that they were Enoch, which is impossible since Enoch lived like way, 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 way back in the days of like Genesis chapter 5, before the flood. And so, um, so what do we do with, with this? Why does Jude quote from Enoch? Here's, here's two, th I'm just going to mention this in passing, and then we're going to get into the meat of this, of, of this uh, paragraph. Jude quotes from Enoch because Enoch the, the book of Enoch was, was a, a book that would have been widely known by uh, the Christians in the church that he's writing to and the Hebrews in general. Here's what I think. I think, I think um, Jude 
is pulling from the same source that whoever wrote the book of Enoch was pulling from. Here's what we know, okay, and I'll just leave it at this. What Jude quotes here is scripture. And just because he quotes a prophecy from Enoch doesn't mean the whole book of Enoch is scripture. Does that make sense? I just want to say that at the beginning, because there's this like, there's, there's this push, and it, you, you can go to like Barnes and Noble, and you can go to other places, and there's even a push uh, amongst some Christians that, that the book of Enoch should actually be in the Bible. Well, there's a reason why, there's very good reasons why it's not in our Bible, uh, and it was, it was never considered to be a part of our Bibles. It's, it's, you, you have three categories of, of writings, like, like religious writings. You have Holy Scripture that's inspired, all 66 books that are in your Bible is considered Holy Scripture. Um, there, there's a whole story behind all how that all came to be and how, that came, how it was all compiled. We don't have time to get into that. There's, so there's Holy Scripture, and then there's the Apocrypha. So if you, how many of you grew up Catholic? So there are, there are books in most Catholic Bibles that are the Apocrypha. Those are books that are recognized as not being the equivalent of Scripture, but, they are, but they're valuable. That's the, so they're valuable, and, and so it's good to maybe read those. But it doesn't mean that they're without error. There's, er, there's some error in those. And then you have pseudopocrypha. The very word pseudo means false. Pseudopocrypha is false books. For, for hundreds of years, thousands of years, the book of Enoch was considered pseudepigrapha, false book. Why? Because whoever wrote it was not Enoch. It was some other dude. And, um, and he was probably pulling from some really good sources, uh, like Deuteronomy and other things. I just wanted to share that with you, because maybe some of you are like, well, see, he, quote, he, quotes, somebody, he quotes Enoch here, and so therefore maybe the book of Enoch should be in our Bibles. No, that's... That's not the case. In fact, Paul quotes some uh, secular people and pagan people, like in Acts chapter 17, just because he quoted a poem from some pagan doesn't mean that whole poem is inspired by, 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 the, Holy, by the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to, that's the elephant in the room, and now I want to get, get to, okay, so, so what does it mean for us? What does it mean for you today, like a, a Monday or, or Wednesday? Um, we have uh, one of our uh, dear ladies in the church um, and I just got a text message at, like 10 minutes ago. Betty Kemp passed away. Um, and so two week, uh, three weeks ago, she came. She was able to come to church. And her daughter, Kitty, brought her. She was alert. She was, she, she was glad to be here. She was in a wheelchair. She had a heart condition, but she, on top of that, she had advanced cancer throughout her body. Um, she was receiving treatment for that. Came and she heard my first sermon where I just unpacked verse one of Jude, which is, this is like Monday morning kind of stuff, right? If you're a Christian, you're called. If you're called by God, you are beloved by God the Father. If you're beloved by God the Father, you can know that you're kept for Jesus and by Jesus. She, learned, she listened to that sermon. She was able to hear the whole thing. She was able to sing songs in church. They got her into a car, and she had a massive stroke that lasted hours. She, later on, I was able to visit her, and she asked me, 
and she came out, she didn't know what happened because, she, because of the stroke, but she, knew, she remembered everything in the service, worship service leading up to getting into the car. And she looked at me and she said, what happens next, Pastor Keith? And I said, Betty, I'm going to be honest with you. You are in the last phase of life on this side of eternity. And soon you're going to die, physically. And I just looked at her and I said, Betty, can I ask you something, though? She said, sure. You were able to listen to this sermon. I didn't, I didn't know you were coming, but God knew you were coming. And, and would you agree that what I preached on in those first few verses in Jude is exactly what you needed to hear? And she said, well, yes. And I said, so Betty, let, let's look at this. If you're called, which you are, by God, you're a Christian, you place your faith and trust in him. If you're called, then, Betty, you're loved by God the Father. You're not just loved, you're beloved by him. He's, his love is a, an agape kind of love. It's an unconditional love. There's nothing that you can do to, to keep him from loving you. Do you understand, Betty? And she said, yeah. And then I said, and because that's true, you are kept for Jesus and by Jesus. So, Betty, I got a question for you. Even when this cancer results in your physical death, what can death really take from you when that's true of you? And she said, nothing. Right. So when we get to verse 14, what does this mean for Monday? What does this mean for Wednesday afternoon? And this is what I want to show you. Like, there's a reason why Jude uses Enoch to, to quote some prophecy that he shared that, that I believe Enoch uh, in Genesis chapter 5 must have, must have said. But, but there's a reason why he includes him in, the, in, in, the, in this little letter. Think about it. What happened in Genesis chapter 4? Cain killed Abel, Right? And not only did he kill Abel, he was forced to be a wanderer. And, and Cain was always and forever associated with violence, evil, and immorality. We, we talked about that, right? In, in verses 5 and, uh, through 7, like, like Jude talks about some of this. And he talks about um, you know, these angels who crossed the line. And I talked about that in the sermon. I won't go into it here. But they crossed the line in such a perverse ugly, immoral way with, with these regional kings and these daughters of men. That's in Genesis chapter 6. Where is Enoch's story placed in, that, in, in, the, in, in Genesis? In chapter 5, between Cain and between these, these horrible demonic entities that, that, that did these horrible things. And, and what do we learn of Enoch? This is my second, this is, this is the first point, right? God receives those who walk with him. What do we learn? In Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, this is what we learn of Enoch. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch, listen, Enoch, this is why it's here. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and, and had other sons and daughters. So for 300 years, I won't get into the whole 300-year thing. But, but for years and years and years, he walked with God in the midst of a culture that was, that was progressively decaying and becoming more and more wicked. That's Enoch. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, we're told in, the, in verse 24, and he was not, for God took him. There was a resurrection there. God took him. 
We're not told why, other than he just, Enoch walked with God. Other men and women have walked with God. They didn't experience a resurrection. They will one day. But for whatever the reason, God took Enoch out of the world. And that is in between Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 6. Here's the thing. I think this is, what, this is the point. This is why this paragraph is here. Jude wants to remind us that, that man, there, there, there are, there's evil all around us. There's always going to be that. It's always been that way. It's always going to be that way until Jesus comes again. But, but in the midst of that, Christian, you too can walk with God. Like, hope is not lost. How do we know that we can walk with God? Because we're called by God. How, how, how do we know we can walk with God? Because we're loved by God. How do we know that we can walk with God? Because we're kept for Jesus Christ. That's how. And, and at the end of Jude, which is in a couple of weeks, we'll, I'll, I'll preach on it. At the end of Jude, Jude says, and not only is, is Jesus keeping us, but he's, he, he's preserving us. He's, he, he's, he's shaping us and molding us. And so... So that's, that, that's why this paragraph is here. You know, Jude uses all kinds of illustrations from the Old Testament, but, I, I, but don't miss the, 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 the irony here. He makes a big deal about Cain, and he made a big deal about these, these angels that crossed the line in Genesis chapter 6. And then you have verse 14. And he said, by the way, Enoch prophesied. And I'm not just talking about any Enoch. I'm talking about the, the ones seventh from Adam, that Enoch. Just so you know his place in the story. And, and, and what is the prophecy? Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Those are angels. To execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed. So, so the question I just want to talk, just answer before we even move on here is, like, what does it mean to walk with God? Well, there's all kinds of verses in the Bible that tell us what it means to walk with God. Let's look at Psalm, the, the first two verses in Psalm chapter 1. Let's read this together. Ready? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's what walking with the Lord looks like. It's not just, you know, getting up, reading a verse, and then forgetting what you read. It's, it's walking with the Lord. He, it's someone who's pursuing the Lord. Enoch pursued God. And let's go to, to the next verse. There's, an, there's another one in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. What, what calling? Jude chapter 1. We are called by God, and we're beloved by God, and we're kept for Jesus Christ. So walk in that light. Walk in that manner with, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Okay, so maybe you're wondering, okay, so that's a little helpful. Well, tell me more, Pastor Keith. Well, Hebrews chapter 12, let's read this together. Ready? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? That's what, that's what walking with God looks like. How do you do that? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Yeah, you f- focus your attention on him. And that's the point Enoch is making in all of his 25 verses. It's like, keep your eyes on Jesus because the false teachers, those who have crept into the church, they, they, the thing that, that, that marks them out is that they deny this Jesus. They deny him. They deny Jesus as master and Lord. But not you, Christian. Not you. And don't you forget who he is. Like he, he is the Lord. He is the Lord. Um, so for the Christian, the judgment for our sin fell upon Jesus so that our, our sins against our holy creator would be pardoned. And because of that, listen, because of that, even the worst of death is but a sting. This morning, Betty passed away. And what she experienced was just but a sting. Just a sting. Nothing more. Should we hate death? Yes. How many of you like to be stung? Come on now. Like, you see some bees flying around. Like, Come to me. Like, sting me. Like, I don't think anybody does that. Um, <laughs> uh, I run. <laughs> As a little kid, I stepped on a hornet's nest, and, and I was stung like 14 times. It's forever scarred me. I don't like those things, right? Well, well Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the Bible, all throughout the Bible, we're told that Death is a sting. It, for the Christian, it's but a sting. But it, but it stinks. Like, like, nobody likes to be stung. There's an there's old spiritual. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to what? Die. Right? Uh, which leads me to the second point, and that is that God condemns those who follow after their sinful desires. This is, this is again, this is the point of, of these verses in June, verses 14 through 16. Jude said, Jude is warning that there's a judgment coming. He's not just saying, oh, Enoch talked about it. He's just making the point that it is emphatically clear throughout Scripture that there is a judgment coming, and the false teacher will not escape that judgment. Nor will anybody who is still in their sins will escape that judgment. Like, apart from Jesus, death is much more than a sting. I heard this word used to describe death by Tim Keller this week when I was at the gym listening to him. That, um, that death is, a, is an executioner. Think about that for a moment. Death is an executioner. So it, it's not the finality of death. It just delivers you to something else. The Bible describes that all of us, and we were told, and we know this, right? The, the, the mortality rate in Cheyenne and Wyoming is what? 100%. We're not getting out of this world without dying, right? Um, but there's a second death the Bible describes. So death for the non-Christian is, but, is an executioner that delivers us to a second death where 
where for the non-Christian, the person who is still in their sins, will stand before God, not as a father, but as a judge. So for the Christian, death is only a sting. For the person who knows not Jesus, death is an executioner. I mean, that's significant. And Jude, Jude is reminding these Christians of this. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat the scriptures here. He doesn't sugarcoat what's coming. It's a judgment. It's coming. And, and for those who are still in their sins, they will face that judgment. They will face God as judge. And, um, and it, will not be, it, will, it, will not, it will not be a good day for them. And here's, here's the, you know, my mind was wandering a little bit as I was working on my sermon, and I was just thinking, okay, so, so Jude is the half-brother of Jesus, right? Jesus had some brothers. Jude was one of them. We're told that, that they didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection, most likely after the resurrection. In the Gospels, we're told that they did not believe. And at some point, Jude placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. At some point, his half-brother... Who, who he grew up with, um, something in his life, I think it was the resurrection, just, just blew him away. He's like, okay, so this is the Christ. This, this one that I actually shared meals with and I, I didn't really believe, like he is the Christ. I, I can't but think but, that Jude must have heard some of the things that his older half-brother said throughout his life, throughout his ministry. Like things like, kind of the things that he said in Matthew 24. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, just think about that for a moment. Enoch's prophecy was written down in first Enoch, I think it was spread down orally from generation to generation up to that point. Maybe there was something written down um, during the, the days of, of um, you know, Genesis chapter 5. We'll never know. But Enoch, in light of his prophecy, especially if you read first Enoch, Enoch was, was attributing the judgment of God that was coming upon upon a sinful generation with a judgment that Yahweh would bring upon the generations. This is the reason why Jesus said things that made the Pharisees and scribes so angry that they wanted to kill him. Because in Matthew 24, Jesus is saying, you know those passages in the, uh, that the prophets you know, talked about, the, the, the thing that's coming, the judgment, the great judgment that's coming? I am the one that's coming. Yes, I, I know that you know that the prophet said Yahweh is coming, but I'm telling you that the Son of Man is coming. I am Yahweh, Yahweh's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am him. And so, and so the Pharisees and the scribes wanted to kill him. Um, Enoch's prophecy, like, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Jesus said, I am coming with the angels. And then, like, you know, there's a passage, an Old Testament passage, Zechariah chapter 14, says the same thing. I have the words on the screen. 
than the Lord, that is Yahweh, okay? So Yahweh, every time, just, just, just a clue, every time you read it in the Old Testament and you see Lord in caps, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Then Yahweh will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies between Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west by a very wide valley so that uh, one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. What's, Je what's Zechariah talking about? He's talking about this judgment that's coming. It's this one that Jesus was referring to in Matthew 24. It's, another, it's the one that Jesus refers to in Matthew 25, which the words will be on the screen. Um, let's go to the next slide. Yep. Uh, Matthew 25. Let's read this together. Ready? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Like over and over again. And so then they brought Jesus before, like they, they wanted to, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus. They arrested him. They brought him before the Sanhedrin, which would be the Jewish court. And the high priest by the name of Caiaphas said, or asked Jesus, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And what did Jesus answer? He said, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And with that, Caiaphas tore his garments. They said, what more do we need? This man has condemned himself. Well, why did Caiaphas tear his garments? Because what he heard Jesus say was that Jesus said, yes, I know Zechariah says that Yahweh will be, bring judgment, but I am that one. I know Daniel chapter 7 is referring to God bringing this judgment, but I am he. Caiaphas said, he's blasphemed because there are other messiahs that came before Jesus. They didn't, they didn't just haul off and try to execute them the way that they wanted to execute Jesus. And, and Jude, Jude is making a point here. And I don't know, maybe Jude was there during the trials. Maybe he was in the crowd somewhere, just checking, seeing how this, this thing would, would go with his older brother. I think he probably was there. And he heard Jesus say these things. And, and Jude is reminding us that there's a judgment coming, that we have a hero who's going to make all things right with the world. Like, Jude is very clear here. This is just another one you can take to the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons. Like, when was First Enoch written? 300 to 100 B.C., before Christ. This prophecy, Jude's saying, dates back all the way back to the days of Enoch, from the mouth of Enoch. And what was this prophecy? Behold, the Lord comes. Behold, Yahweh comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Who's coming with ten thousands of his holy ones? Jesus. Why? Because he's God in flesh. And he has the right to judge the nations. And he will. In verse 15, and I'm, I'm going to draw this to a close and we'll celebrate communion together, but verse 15, he says, to execute judgment on all the on, on all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness. 
that they have committed. And in verse 16, they are, you know, who are these people? They're grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. What is this? What is this judgment? It's, I mean, it's talked about, written all throughout scriptures. One place that it's talked about is Revelation chapter 20. How will these, how, how will these people be judged? Listen, they'll be judged based on what they said and what they did. Like, so Jews saying, look, these false teachers, they're going to be judged based on what they said and what they did. They'll be judged based on they're, they're, they're teaching that Jesus is not master and Lord, and they will be judged based on the fact they didn't live in light of the fact that Jesus is master and Lord. And not just the false teachers, but all people who don't know Jesus. And we're told in Revelation 20, like, this judgment. Then I saw, the words will be on the screen, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had what? Done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone's name who's not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Like Jesus even said, and Jesus said this, and he quoted Isaiah, which the prophet Isaiah who said this, well, how long is this lake of fire? How, what kind of torment is this? Well, we're, we're told it's, it's the place for their worm shall not die, the, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. That's not a place you want to go. And for all those who will face the judgment only to experience the lake of fire, they experience, they'll experience a second death. The death that we all must face will be for them an executioner that will deliver them to that death. But what about you, Christian? Tim Keller said this, this is really, um, this is good. He said, for the Christian, death is not an executioner because the Savior has made death a gardener. Think about that. It's the worst death can do to you. I mean, consider all that is yours because of Jesus. I just I put six of them, six, six things that are yours, six truths about you because you're a Christian, if you're a Christian in this room. If you're a Christian, that is that you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as Jesus, as Savior, Master, and Lord, you are called by God, beloved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus. That you know, right? If you're a Christian, then it is Jesus who brought you out of your Egypt, out of slavery, the slavery of your sin. If you're a Christian, Jesus sought you as his people. If you're a Christian, Jesus saved you from your sin. If you're a Christian, you were once a slave to sin, but Jesus has made you what? Free. He's made you free. If you're a Christian, Jesus is coming to make your redemption complete. Think about this. 
We're going to celebrate communion in a second here. But I just think about this. The, the opening verses of Jude, he says that in, in light of, in verse 2, in light of being called, in light of having the love of God lavished upon you, in light of being kept for Jesus, you have, Christian, you have mercy, peace, and, and, <clears throat> and love multiplied upon you. you. You know what that's saying? Here's what it's saying. I wrote it down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it for you. It's on the screen because because I want you to think about it. The mercy, peace, and love you will experience will forever, for all eternity, be a never-ending climax of God's mercy, peace, and love where you will never know him as judge, but only as father. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you're a Christian, instead of death being your executioner, the Lamb of God who is your master and Lord, has made death a gardener. I will say at Betty's funeral, which he asked me to do, whether she's, I don't know if she'll, her body will be cremated or she'll be in a casket, but I will say on that day, whether it's this week or early next week, I will say that this casket is not death's victory dance because of Betty's hope and trust in Jesus Christ. It's just a sting and nothing more. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.